Kick off your shoes, sit back, and find that gigantic stack of papers you've been meaning to grade. It's time for the new teacher hotline. Hello and welcome to the New Teacher Hotline. It's episode 10. That's two digits to you and me. We have made it to our first, although very minor, milestone, and I'm happy to have you here to share it with us. Now, when I say us, that's a bit misleading. My name is Mike Kelly. I am the Director of Teacher Preparation for the American Board for Certification of Teacher Excellence. And normally, I would have with me Dr. Glenn Moulton, who is our teacher trainer and guru of teacher preparation. But unfortunately for us, and fortunately for Glenn, he's on vacation this week. But just because Glenn is out, that doesn't mean we stop innovating. As a matter of fact, even though he's not here, we're going to unveil a brand new segment that he and I have been working on for quite some time. There's been a bit of planning behind the scenes, and it's all come together nicely. And today we see the fruits of all that labor. Ladies and gentlemen, I present you the American Top 50. From sea to shining sea. From Purple Mountain Majesty. Across the fruited plain, we're spanning the globe to bring you the teachers of the year for all 50 states. This is the American Top 50. We are going to sit down with the teachers of the year from as many of the 50 states as we can possibly gather together and just pick their brains. That's a huge resource. And I hope that you would join us on this journey. As a matter of fact, this journey starts today. We have the Teacher of the Year from the state of Texas. I spoke to her just a few days ago. So without any further ado, I'd like to introduce Dana Boyd. Well, we are very excited at the New Teacher Hotline to have on our first Teacher of the Year from the state of Texas of the 48 contiguous states, the biggest state uh, with one of the biggest student populations. And I want to welcome Dana Boyd. Dana, thanks for letting us call you this morning. No problem. Good morning, and welcome from Texas. Oh, thank you. What is it like in Texas today? Um, it was about 103 yesterday. I am in El Paso, Texas, so it is quite hot right now. But right now it's 7 in the morning. It's still nice outside. Oh, well, how long do you have? Maybe another half an hour, an hour until it gets unpleasant? Exactly, yeah. You do all of your things early in the morning or late at night here. So, you know, that's the way it, it works here. But, you know, we can't. I can't have a better place. Now, I have to ask you one question before we get into the meat of the interview. Is it true that okay. the stars at night shine big and bright? Or is it's that just in the room? heart of Texas. Yeah, right. definitely. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. Well, tell us a little bit about you. What, what grade level do you teach and subjects, and how long have you been teaching? I have been teaching this. Starting this school year will be my ninth year of teaching. I have taught first grade, second grade, and third grade. Currently, this end of this year, I was promoted to the assistant principal of my own campus, so that is definitely a step up. I, uh, during this Teacher of the Year process, I have not actually been in a classroom because of all of the traveling that is involved, and most Teachers of the Year in that year that they have their reign are not actually in the classroom because there's all of the speaking involved and different traveling, and of course, we don't want um student success to be, you know, taken advantage of or or with the teacher being out of the classroom so much. So in most states, the teacher does have a year off to do whatever they need to do to help support the Teacher of the Year program. 
Well, so what sorts of things are you up to? Are you speaking a lot? What kind of things do you do? Um, gone down to the Senate floor for, and the House floor within at Austin. I have done some things at different colleges. I was just at UT Austin last week speaking to them. I have, of course, did some speaking with the senators on the Hill in Washington in regards to um, different items in Texas. Um, I, next week I will be going to Philadelphia for an educational council conference there in Philadelphia, and I'm on a panel for the No Child Left Behind Act, and then I will be going to Space Camp in Huntsville, Alabama the end of this month, too. So there's been various types of, like I said, going around, public speaking, um, being an advocate for education, and those are some of the things that we've done. Wow. What sort of process is involved in becoming a Teacher of the Year? It begins first with the nomination within your own school. And then from the school, you then compete against teachers that are are within your district. From district, you go to the regional competition. From regional competition, you're then put in the running for the the state teacher of the year. That process is an application, a written application. And from the written application, they pick four finalists, elementary and high school. And then you are then called in for a one-on-one extensive interview with a large panel of people. And then from that process, they pick one elementary teacher of the year, one secondary teacher of the year, and from those two, they decide um, which one they feel they would like to represent the state. And that's the process that I went through. That's very extensive. How long does that take from start to finish? Um, the, the, the process started in January, and I was named Texas Teacher of the Year in October. So you're looking at almost a nine-month to ten-month process. Wow. So what were, what was going through your mind now? I know that when you got to, you said, like, the final four. I imagine that's the final two elementary and the final two secondary. What was right. going through your head to think, well, what happens if it's me? It was almost the thought of, like, this can't, it won't happen to me because it's just, you you know, sometimes you think your luck is going to run out. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's like, you know what, this is all part of a plan. You know, I know that I've done good things for my kids and I've made it this far. So if I, if I don't make it, that's fine. And if I do, wow, you know, so you, you get to that point and you go into the interview and you give your very best. And I walked out of there confident because I knew I had done my best and that's all I could do. And um, when I received, received the phone call from um, the commissioner of education of Texas, I was shocked. I was, I was, Speechless. There was people in the background that were yelling, and she's like, are you there, Dana? Are you there? And I said, yes, <laughs> because I was just speechless. You don't think, you know, when you have a dream of being a teacher as a little child, and then you get to this process right here where you actually are going to meet the president or you're representing the state of Texas with millions of children that you're going to be representing and thousands of teachers, you never think that it's going to get to that point. But I would not take it away for the world. It really is very impressive. Teaching is one of those occupations, at least in my experience, that the amount of positive feedback that you get is so little. It's nice, I would imagine, to get to some level where not only are your actions applauded at the regional level by saying, hey, here's somebody that we think is a great candidate for the Teacher of the Year, but to be recognized all the way through and to really be identified as someone who stands out. Definitely. And everybody that is in some type of profession has had a teacher in their life. 
And I think a lot of times people forget how important teachers are because we're the foundation of, of everything. Anybody that's doing anything, no matter if it's a minimum wage job or you're getting paid thousands or million dollars a year, at some point you receive some type of education and a foundation or a seed was planted for you and we all have our best teacher and we all have our, our worst teacher, you know, the teacher that we're like, oh my God, that teacher was so mean or I didn't like them or, you mm-hmm. know, just, that was not my favorite teacher. But that's the thing I think people a lot of times um, forget how important we are. So to be able to have sit-down lunches with with teachers and really show us how important we are and, you know, really valuing what we do for kids, not just in my state of Texas, but just across the U.S. of, you know, how important we are and that we really do have a voice and we'd really like people to listen to what we have to say to make education for ourselves and the people that are going to be taking care of us when we're older. We want education to be valued. Now, what are the things that you think are most important about being a teacher? Now, you're saying as you came out of this interview process and you're waiting to find out the final results, you said, you know, I know that I've done my best and I know that I've, you know, I've done the things that, that help my kids learn and I know I've done the things that I feel like are most effective. If you could pick three things about the way that you teach that you think really make you an effective teacher, what would those be? The first and, and foremost is building a relationship with the student and the parents. Okay. Um, the second would be um, to go out of the box and make it um, creative for them. And the third is to set high expectations for the students from day one. The reason that I say about building relationships, if you don't know anything about your kids, then you're not going to be able to reach them. You have to take the time to get to know the students. You have to get the time to know the parents because these kids are going to be with you more than they spend time with their own parents during the school year. So if they're having problems at home or if they're experiencing different things, we here have a large military base. If their dad or mother has been deployed, then you need to be able to know what's going on. Because There's a book saying, do you know enough about me to be able to teach me by Stephen Peters? And it's so right that we have to get to know our students before we can even move. And once that relationship is built of trust, then they know that the teacher is going to be there for them no matter what. And they're going to give you their very, very best in whatever they want to do. The second thing that I said was creativity. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I would do is try to make a connection between what I'm teaching with what's going on in real-world experiences, um, bringing in culture. One thing that I did in my classroom a lot was have potluck lunches every three months to bring the family and people together, but also recognize the different cultures within. When we had Hispanic Heritage Month in October, that was a way for us to bring the history of Hispanic Americans, but then have a big potluck to recognize the food. And in February, we would do it for Black History Month. You bring in the history of African Americans, and then you bring in the food to tie in the culture. So these are different ways, you know, um, using food, using um, for science, actually going out there and and getting in the dirt and being creative so they can understand the different types of soils and and how these different types of soils are are used for building houses. What kind of house, when you have your house and you're out there trying to decide a builder, well, which type of concrete or which kind of sand would you like them to mix to be able to make the foundation of your house and actually them trying to build houses with those different types of And then, of course, setting the high expectations for the kid. I have to let them know that they're the smartest kids when they come in here, no matter what. Even if they're someone that has struggled or they've had a long history of problems, Mm -hmm. I have to let them know the expectations for this classroom are going to be for you. 
just as they're going to be for a gifted and talented student. And we might not all reach the same goal, but the expectations are going to be there. And if you don't make it, that's okay. But we're going to look at the gain that you've made and celebrate those gains and celebrate those expectations that we set and where you were to get to those expectations and do it on a daily basis, letting them know, you know, you are going to graduate, you are going to go to college, you are going to be successful. And, you know, when I received my master's in, in education, a bunch of my students went to my graduation at the university because I wanted them to know, you know, there's life beyond your high school diploma, and I want you all to experience a college graduation. So that's what I'm saying, planting those seeds and letting them know this is something that you can achieve. One of the things the new teachers struggle with, or at least they seem to, is the idea of being the authority in the classroom. So they'll, they might come into the classroom and try to establish, like you said, a personal relationship with the kids. And how can you establish that um, professional relationship that, that shows that you care, but it's not a friendship relationship or that it's not one of those that, that the students feel that they can exploit? Right. And I think you're boiling down to classroom management of, mm-hmm. of the classroom. And, exactly. Um, the way that I feel that it's effective is we all go into those rules and expectations as a group and basically saying these are the expectations that we have for our class. These are the rules that we're going to have for our class. Because if it's coming from the teacher, then it's teacher-directed. But if the students are the ones who are making the rules and these are going to be the consequences, then it is more on their turf that they have made those determinations or they have made those classroom rules. And the way that we do it is on day one, we say, okay, what are some of the things that we want for our classroom to run effectively? Or how are we going to handle if someone is, you know, if someone hits somebody or someone doesn't, you know, turn in homework? Or how are we going to work this? And a lot of times the students are a lot harder on themselves than I would actually be. Really? But I'll say, okay, are you sure this is the consequence that you want? You know, they'll say like, uh, three or five days of lunch detention. And I would say, well, let's consider why the homework was not turned in, you know, and sometimes <laughs> I'll try and bring it down and say, okay, this is a little bit more for, a little bit more fair, but the fact that they're taking ownership for the rules of their classroom, because you have to understand it's, it's all of ours. It's not just the teacher's classroom, but it's our, our classroom as a whole. And when they take the ownership for that, and then we sign a document, all of us together, letting us know that we are going to be held accountable for these and that, that it's reinforced when you see that these problems are going on or it's starting to get out of control. At that point, you have to stop and you have to direct the problem that's happening at hand and go back to your rules and say, hey, these are the ones that we talked about. This is the way that what's been going on, and we need to redirect ourselves so the classroom can flow. And it's just, you know, going back and modeling and, and letting them know these are things that we set forth and, you know, emphasizing the positives definitely when things are going good doing that because I think that's a lot of times we look so bad on the negative things that are happening in the classroom but when you reinforce the positive then the students are able to start doing those things well wow I saw that she said hey it was a good job for having my things ready or that I came into class and got prepared then they all start to model that because they want that same routine and things start going easier and and flowing better in their classroom so I believe to wait, the way to make it effective is to involve your students in setting down the rules of your classroom. 
One of the things that I remember from my educational psychology classes is that um, some of these classroom management techniques almost seem condescending. Like in some ways, people would say, I like the way Samantha is pushing in her chair, or I like the way that you're listening. And to me, that almost sounds, I mean, I understand the philosophy behind it, but it almost seems a little bit manipulative. And what I'm getting from you is that you're reinforcing the positive, not because you're trying to make a point necessarily, but because you're actually being genuine. You're, you appreciate it when the students are cooperating with you and you're communicating that as opposed to sort of furthering an agenda by picking out individual things right. that you like and don't like. Yeah. Right. And a lot of the times when they say, I like the way that Samantha is pushing in her chair, then that's the only time Samantha is going to do it. As, I mean, not do it, they're able to hear that. But if it becomes part of your classroom environment that the students are receiving positive reinforcement for whatever, or when they start giving each other praise for something that they did or leaving sticky notes, you know, that we believe in leaving sticky notes of good comments to each other, then you know it becomes genuine. It's not just saying, I want to do it because I want to write on a sticky pad. They then are noticing good behavior within the classroom. And then that's when you have to step back and say, wow, they are really taking ownership of this class. You mentioned sticky notes. I haven't heard of the sticky notes before. Are these sort of the yellow, the yellow post-it notes that we have? Um, one of the things that we have when somebody was doing something good, you just write it on a sticky note and you stick it on there and say, "Wow, I like the way that you're doing something." Or if someone has read a really good book and they felt it was interesting, we had recommendations on the book and they would get a sticky note and say, "Today I read um, Judy Jones' book, and you really have to read this book because." This is happening, and I made a connection when I was in first grade. These things happen when we are in the hallway, walking up and down the hallway, and their student work that other classes have put up there. The students can have their sticky notes, and if they see something that is out there that they really like, then they stick the sticky note on there, and it says, wow, I really like this, and they put their name and their section of the classroom that they're in. So if someone wanted to come back, and talk to them or to thank them, but at the same time, if they see something on there that they have questions about, then they can um, say, well, I don't understand why you put this. And then the classroom, the sticky note could be like, instead of someone yelling at each other that they could do the sticky note with, you really hurt my feelings when you told me that you wouldn't be able to play with me at lunchtime today. So instead of causing a scene within the classroom, the sticky note is set there and there's a point that we can come together as the two children and myself and we can talk about this and we can say, all right, tell them how you were feeling at this point. But then also you're praising the fact that instead of reacting to the problem, they, they wrote it down. Instead of causing a big scene and getting both of themselves in trouble, they've learned to be able to put it on paper and then we'll deal with the situation at another time within class that that's really very interesting. I like that. I like that it's a way that students can communicate both good and bad, but it doesn't have to be a disruption. Hey, even having students praising each other or pointing out good things, that could even be a distraction at some point, even if the students are bought in, um, when everybody has to sort of say why they liked something or why they didn't like something. And this way, everybody gets their thoughts heard. And actually, you're, you're reinforcing writing skills at the same time. Exactly. That's exactly what I was going to say. And they don't realize that they are using those writing skills. They're putting voice into their writing, letting them know how they're feeling. And then, you know, you sometimes have that teachable moment where you can bring that in academically and say, hey, do you remember when such and such, when you guys had a problem and as we're doing a chapter book reading out loud, then the students are able to make the connection like, oh, yeah, I, I know how she feels because that's exactly how I was feeling 
when I was put in that situation. We're always looking for teachable moments in education. Very nice. I, I, I really like that idea. I have, I have another question for you. We've talked about the positives and what you're supposed to do in the classroom. Now, as Teacher of the Year, and I imagine as a mentor teacher, you've been in a situation where you've had to go and observe newer teachers, or at least you, you see other teachers that are new to the school, and maybe you're walking by or you, you hear things about their classroom. And there are always certain things that are red flags, I would imagine, to a really good teacher that you hear something and you say, oh, I really don't like that, or oh, that's going to cause trouble later, later. What are some of those big red flags that you see from new teachers when you walk by their classroom or if they ask you, hey, could you come and sit in my room? I know that you, you know, you're the teacher of the year. Do you have any suggestions for me? What are those things that you see that immediately make you think, no, that's not going to work? Probably the, the one biggest thing is, is classroom management. When they are able to say, I can't control my class and I'm not able to teach. Or, you know, they have a particular student that might have a disability and they are like, I was never, I never received any type of training or education or none of my, my classes at the university told me how to deal with this. Those are, and you know, just having basically the class is going bonkers and the teacher is just losing it. They're constantly, you know, possibly saying, sit down, you know, do this. I told you not to do this. And what it is with that is first, Instead of going in there and attacking them, you've got to find something positive that you saw within that classroom. So within that something positive, um, you bring it in that way. Well, I went in there and I saw that you had maybe your daily schedule posted on there. And then from that, tell them or, you know, you had some rituals and routine established. And then from there, building on what it is that we can do to make it run better for them. Because when you're constantly um, having to redirect your students, you're losing academic time on helping them. So that's probably the biggest problem that we see sometimes with new teachers. And I know the way that we've combated that problem at our campus is all of the new student interns that we have to come into our campus every Friday or every other Friday, depending on what's going on. We provide professional development for them for about an hour and a half to address those areas that usually the university doesn't go into depth and give them kind of real-life scenarios, be it classroom management, be it a, um, an angry parent, um, looking at some of the special ed, the individual plans that you have to have for the students and how you're going to make those accommodations. So those are some of the things that we do to help support them so when they get into the classroom, they'll be able to make that connection a little bit better than going in there cold turkey and saying, you know what, I am totally not prepared for this. And that's why we're losing so many new teachers within the first year. Many are leaving and within the first five years, the statistics are showing if they don't stay within the first five years, they're out of there. You know, so what we need to do is help better prepare our new teachers and to be able to look at different cultures and the way that different cultures respond and how they value education. I think every culture values education, but there's different things within different cultures that teachers need to be made aware of. So I think that's those are things that we have to do to help support them. So rather than going in and, and attacking them, actually sit down and say, okay, what works really well in your classroom and what are some things that I need to help you with? They're going to get the academics across. But as I said before, if your classroom management is not intact, then your classroom just goes wild, and you're spending more time instead of teaching the students, you're taking more time to direct the students. I totally agree. It's very well said. Now, one other question I have for you is that you've mentioned a number of times that 
culture and being sensitive to culture is an important part of education. And I'm assuming because this is El Paso, are you talking mostly about the Hispanic culture that you're addressing right. in your classroom? Right. Right, right. And I can give you a, a prime example. In the Hispanic culture, one thing that they, they're very highly, and Mexico teachers are very highly, highly respected. They are seen like higher than doctors, that educators are seen that way. But the one thing is they are told not to look a teacher in the eye. When a teacher is talking to them, to not look them in the eye, that is a sign of disrespect to be able to look at a teacher in the eye. But some teachers that are not known about that. Like I had a, an intern that came from Lubbock and did her internship down here. You know, she would say, well, look at me in the eye, or he won't look at me in the eye. So I, we you know, we had to tell them, this is the reason, because in their culture, that's a sign of disrespect. Or many of the parents sometimes feel intimidated by the public education system here because they have not had a formal education themselves. But instead of knocking those parents for not coming in, what we have to do is invite them in and educate them as we're educating their children so they can be become a part of it. And family is very important for them. So if they say, you know, we all have to go to California because we had a death in our family or we've got, you know, um, my grandma is with me, my mom is with me, my aunt's living with me, then all of those people are in there in that house. And we have to respect that, hey, I'm, I'm sleeping on the floor or I didn't get much sleep last night because my sister's baby was crying. We have to respect that because they believe in keeping family together. So, so those are some of the things that we, we have to be able to know that, you know, that's, that's what's important. That's why I said it's so important for you to be able to get to know the family and to be able to get to know the child. So you can address those issues as they come up during the year. Well, you know, I feel like I could talk to you for hours and hours, but I don't want to eat up your Saturday. And I have, oh, no, that's fine. Unfortunately, we're closing in on uh, the ceiling of our time and helping us out. No, I'm going to let you have the last word. What are your final thoughts, something that you really feel a new teacher needs to know? If you could communicate one message to them, what would that be? And, and really, it wouldn't be to a new teacher. It would be to all teachers. One of the things that I always say is treat every child that comes into your class like you would want someone to treat your own child. Mm -hmm. And the second thing is on your very, very worst day of the job, when everything has gone totally bad for you, you know, everything imaginable has happened to you, you are still some child's only hope. So it's very important that you have to take each day as if it's your last. Several of us have had students that they were in our class one day and they were not there the next. So the one thing that I can say is that the child needs to enter your classroom with a smile on your face and a handshake or a hug or a high five, I say, and they need to leave the classroom the same way. So that's one thing that I can say. If anything, is get to know your students and give them the very best every day, all day. Thanks very much. Oh, thank you. And if there's anything that I can do just for not um, education in Texas, but education throughout, just give me a holler. Or if there's anybody out there, um, my email address is d. D-O-Y-D at Y-I-S-D dot net, and I would be happy to, to chat with you, um, give you some type of whatever I can steer you in the right way so that education and, and the children of our future are taken care of. Well, there you have it. My conversation with Dana Boyd, the Teacher of the Year from the state of Texas. I hope that you enjoyed that, the first installment of America's Top 50, our attempt to speak to all the Teachers of the Year in all 50 states. We have additional Teachers of the Year lined up and just about ready to go, so in future shows you should be hearing from them. And as a matter of fact, I have even more surprises for you for the next episode. So for Glenn Moulton, this is Mike Kelly. 
and we'll see you in the faculty lounge. Do you have a question that you would like us to answer on a future podcast? Our experts are standing by. Email us today at newteacherhotline at gmail.com. The New Teacher Hotline is presented every two weeks by the American Board for Certification of Teacher Excellence. Look us up online at www.abcte.org. The opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the American Board for Certification of Teacher Excellence. In fact, ABCTE makes no claim that downloading this podcast will even be worth your time. But, you know, we, we hope it is. Our theme song is courtesy of Van Davis at www.abcte.org vandavis.com Thanks for listening.